Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends where you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You'll find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at... Longhorn Pod on Twitter. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, the Longhorn Republic, where we do our post-game live streams. We may have one this weekend. We may not, depending on if there's a football game. If there is a football game, we will be on to talk about it following the Kansas game. Um, but before we jump into our normal irreverence and craziness, we do want to take a moment and pause and uh, remember former Texas football coach Fred Akers, who passed away Monday at the age of 82. Um, he had the Herculean task of being the man after the man. He succeeded Daryl K. Royal at Texas and, and did a great job of it when 86, 31 and two um, was two wins away from having two national championship games uh, under his belt. Most famously, there was a muffed punt against Georgia that allowed the Bulldogs to take a lead. Um, he is also kind of well known for transitioning to the I form to, to unleash the power of, of one Earl Campbell who was recruited to Texas actually as a fullback. So we uh, send out our thoughts, and prayers to the family of Coach Akers and horns up for, for a legend. Well, my name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who has no sources, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Uh, you could call me a sorcerer, um, but uh, the way my Padre picks goes. But I wouldn't say I have no sources, Gerald. I have I have very few sources. Uh, um, right now, I have I have very little source knowledge or information if that's what you came to this podcast for guys i'm sorry uh once there is a a head coaching vacancy uh we can discuss potential candidates uh but for now uh unless you venmo both gerald and i 995 each month we will not blow smoke anywhere near you so uh no i uh, at least not at least not about anything like that (laughs) fair enough fair enough (laughs) We will talk out of uh, both sides of our mouth about all kinds of things, but not not the uh, the hypothetical University of Texas coaching search. I thought I was going to have to censor you, Kyle. We try to keep our clean there. And you, when you said talking out of, I was like, oh, Kyle, don't give me something to edit this early in the podcast. Um, yeah. We're not even going to comment on it. I just wanted to make the joke. There's... There's still a head coach at the University of Texas football team. His name is Tom Herman. Uh, now, again, we may be sing, singing a different tune next Monday evening when we record, but as it stands right now, we can't really talk about a coaching vacancy. Well, because there is not one. And Texas actually did a lot. I won't say a lot, but did something to at least um, make the decision a little spicier to make uh, by topping Kansas 69 to 31. We'll talk about that. Uh, we had a couple of big basketball games this weekend. Neither of them went Texas's way, but there was a lot of positives to take away from both of those matches. There was some swimming on campus, so we'll obviously down the 40 with that. We'll close the show out with some bang the drum. Now, Gerald, before we jump in and we talk about the football that happened this weekend as we're honoring Coach Akers, I wanted to hit you with a little bit of Fred Akers' Trivia, and I may be giving away the uh, the answer there, but Gerald, what is the uh, the highest uh, number of players ever drafted under Coach Fred Akers in the NFL draft? So, like in a single year? In a uh, sorry, yes, in a single draft, twenty-two. Ooh, okay, you went extremely high. Um, the record all time is seventeen. 
and that was the 1984 Texas Longhorns team under Fred Akers. They uh, the they broke the record uh, set by Notre Dame in 1946. 1946, so 40 years later when there was more than like three teams uh, in the nation, um, an utterly remarkable feat um, that they had 17 players drafted. Um, it feels like both the Charlie Strong and Tom Herman eras combined uh, may not may not may not get there. Um, but uh, yeah, just just you know, again, a legend. Fred Akers probably doesn't. I would say criminally underrated in the pantheon of Texas coaches all time. Uh, probably doesn't get the uh, respect of either of those national championship games. And again, one against a Notre Dame team that had like. 14 NFL players and all pros on it uh, was their only loss of the season. Um, and, and again, the, the heartbreaking Georgia, he would probably have a different legacy, but unfortunately he brought the first losing season on his last season in Texas football in like 30 years. And they booted him after one year and uh, five and six and he was gone. So it has always been tough to be the head man at the university of Texas. This is what invented with the internet. A couple of things. One. Yeah. I guess our expectations have been something for, a century basically at this point um i really i want to know the story of the five guys that didn't get drafted like the five starters <laughs> from that team that did get drafted i'm assuming three of them were were, were like juniors and two of them went to fought in a, fight in a war like, that's what i assume so i want to do the research on the on the 84 team and, and that'll happen eventually so uh we've we've got to start with the football score kyle because they're there was not a lot of excitement from either side. You know, we part of what we do outside of this is we do some preview work for, for a couple of different websites. And talking to, like, Kansas State sources, it was like, eh, nobody really cares about this. We're like, yeah, kind of the same on ours. Um, so nobody knew what to make of this game. I honestly thought Texas was going to come out and be a little flat. And, well, that didn't happen. Texas absolutely put the boots to Kansas State, specifically on the ground, but rushing their way seven rushing touchdowns en route to a 69-31 to 31 win. Like, that is... I don't know how else to say this, but I haven't seen that lopsided of a win in a very long time from the Longhorns. Even, like, more so, that's more lopsided than what UTEP felt like. Like, UTEP was lopsided, but it felt more lopsided than UTEP. Um... And maybe it's just because Texas was so efficient on the ground. Yeah, I, th I think the hyper-efficiency certainly was one thing of it. The fact that they kept scoring, I think the the knock in recent years has been that when Texas got up, they just shut everything down, and they just kept scoring. Even as they pulled starters, they kept scoring. Even against UTEP, I think the second unit didn't really... There was the Hudson card to Malcolm Epps, the only time that one play has worked uh, play. But uh, otherwise, I don't think they really just kept you know, increasing the score differential against UTEP uh, like they did um, for a while. Uh, and in this one, you know, they kept feeding Roshan and, and, and you know, to call him the 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 twos running back is is probably um, unfair to Roshan for sure. Uh, but you know when when they sub some folks out, uh, they still just continued to annihilate the uh, the Kansas State defense, and I think that's why it felt that way, Gerald. They they hung sixty nine points on a team. Um, it was nice. I mean, it was a great uh, performance. It was uh, it was you don't you don't hang that many points on any team no matter how bad they are without having a good day and that's you know that's even with the fact that you know it felt like Texas uh just kind of waved the white flag a bit they only scored 3 points in the fourth quarter so they scored 66 points um in the in the first three quarters that's that's a lot that's like 
Vince Young against bad Big 12 teams or Colorado, um, you know, uh, um, bad Big 12 teams. <laughs> right. Uh, type of type of offense like Texas, even when they're good, even when they're dominant, when we think back to the, you know, those teams you don't you don't always get, you know, knocking on 70s door. Yeah, there has been a lack of these types of games from Texas where they just and we said it in the postgame live stream. I, this is the thing that I think we've wanted to see from Herman for four years where you're just absolutely night and day better than the other team. So I'm just going to lean on you and make you submit. And that's what they did against Kansas State. And we haven't really seen that from Tom Herman in four years where they're just absolutely talent for talent better than anybody. And so this was just an absolutely like, we're just going to kick the tar out of you and not look back. And, and that's exactly what it seemed like the game plan was. And I think also for the first time in really what felt like all season, and you know we can talk a little bit more about it because there are only 27 carries between the, or 23 <laughs> carries between the two of them. But like, it felt like Texas didn't go away from what was working when it worked, especially offensively. It really felt like there were spots in this in this year this season where Texas went back to the script rather than call the plays that were working, and that's not the case. I think that we saw on Saturday. I think it's why there was such a massive, massive number on the ground because Kansas State didn't have an answer for Texas's offensive line. Kansas State didn't have an answer for Bijan Robinson or Roshan Johnson, and that's the craziest part to me is that there was a guy that averaged basically 10 yards a carry and nobody is talking about him nationally because Bijan had such a big game. Yeah, I mean, look, that game, if you're a fan of what running the football in modern offenses can look like, like if you've kind of said, I really miss the old, you know, Earl Power Eye or the the DKR, you know, Wishbone uh, or, or, you know, even Triple Option, teams of the the 80s and 90s if you miss just really good running this is what running the football can look like in the big 12 in modernity because uh pro football focuses three highest graded running backs in the nation this past week were number one Bijan robinson with a ridiculous 97 grade deuce vaughn from kansas state on the other side we'll talk about that uh at almost 95 and then roshan johnson number three at almost 92, like just ridiculous grades um, from the three running backs, according to pro football focus, of course, uh, in this game. So yeah, I, I agree. Like let's take a moment and appreciate 14 carries for 139 yards and three touchdowns about the guy who's not getting talked about again. That's Roshan. That's, that's the, the second best guy in the Longhorns. It is absolutely unreal. Bijan Robinson, unfortunately for, for Roshan's impressive stats, had more than that after contact. He had nine carries for 172 yards, but had 145 yards after contact. Like literally, they would hit him at the line and then watch him as he he scampered, you know, 40 yards down the field or more. Um, it looked, we, we joked on our, our live reaction, uh, this looked as close to what we, you know, sarcastically said when he committed would be 25 yards a carry like he averaged in high school. Well, he averaged 19 in this one, which is 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 utterly unheard of. Like, it, it doesn't even happen. It's unreal. And, oh, by the way, also uh, another 50 receiving because basically just give him the ball anywhere in space when he's locked on and, and that much more talented than uh, the defenders in front of him and – that's what happened. So when you say unprecedented, unheard of, was that was that a reference to the fact that it was a school record because Bijan just decided to break a 69? 
year-old school record uh, in, nice. in scoring 69 points. Uh, the 19.1 yards per carry breaks uh, Gib Dawson, Longhorn Legends, uh, record that he set back in 1951 when all they did was run the ball. Yeah, a little harder to to – I guess, predict what was coming um, in the modern offense. But really, after like a first quarter, he kind of knew it was either Roshan or Bijan. One of them was just going to tear you to shreds. But no, I mean, I think also in the record books, that's our, our um, first game with 200-yard rushers um, since 2016, I believe. Oklahoma State, Dante Foreman and Chris Warren uh, squeaked over with 106. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they, they did it twice in that season, actually. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, there, there were a lot of statistical uh, fun things that happened in this game. I mean, I, I think legitimately – if you if you saw a list of all time yards per carry, I think you know again Roshan would probably crack somewhere on that list. He wasn't too shabby uh, himself, uh, it, ten yards per carry. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know what the the other nice thing about that is, Gerald, is we're talking about two hundred yards rushers and not getting Sam Ellinger, you know, knocked around Neither. and beat up. Yeah. Neither of them was Sam Ellinger, and I think that I mean Sam Ellinger had I think maybe. He had, there was a speed option that he ended up pitching to Bijan that mm-hmm. Bijan took for some yardage. Um, but I really only remember seeing maybe one or two called runs for him in that game, which is what we've wanted to see basically all year. And Sam had a good game. Sam, you know, 20 of 27, 274 and a touchdown. Mm-hmm. That's a great line, especially if the running backs are getting the job done. But I think that all comes down to how well the offensive line played. And you and I have been hypercritical of the offensive line throughout the last, what is it now, nine games. Yeah. And so we've got to take a moment to to pause and, and talk about how well that group played. So the the – with, with Sam Cosme opting out, the starting group was, was Christian Jones, who we have been critical at, at right tackle, uh, Junior Angulao, Jake Majors, true freshman, making his debut, Denzel Okafor at right guard, Derek Kerstetter slid back to his natural position at right tackle, and that group looked really good. That group looked really impressive, and it makes me wonder, like, what would the the team, the game looked like if they had gone to a Cosme Angelao Majors Okafor Kerstetter group in week five? Like, what would the season look like if that was a change they made? Yeah, we're not foreign to uh, Shackelford going in as a freshman. We said we, we don't want your freshman to be, you know, a true freshman to be, be your center, right? But there is a point where we, we talked about on this podcast a few times that moving Kerstetter from his more natural right tackle position. And, and again, we'll talk about Kerstetter. The prognosis looks a little bit better than I think it initially did. Don't want to talk about him without mentioning the the injury, of course. Uh, horns up and prayers up for for uh, for him. Uh, but yeah, that th- there there was a subtraction twice be- because you basically moved him, you know, out of his natural position and played him potentially put a right tackle in who's worse than the center that he started over. It, 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 one game is a small sample size, of course. Um, but, you know, the upside is there. The ceiling is there. I think Jake Majors has um, an incredible ceiling. And I think when you talk about that offensive line, and I think, Gerald, you would be upset at me if I didn't let you talk about your probably, I don't know, your favorite piece on that line, which was after the injury to Kirstetter, we saw uh, one one uh, one favorite, I believe, dancing bear of a, of a left tackle uh, come in, and I'll let Gerald talk about him. But basically, you have these young guys. And again, at this point in the season, 
right? Like if the subtraction of the floor is only a little, why not let them get a preview for what your line's going to look like next year? Let them get some live uh, reps. And I'll talk about a little more in my bang the drum um, about, you know, the, the reps that have been going around this season. But uh, Gerald, what'd you think about the, uh, the, the, the left tackle for the second half of the game? Uh, I mean, Carrick looked good. I think there was some speed of the game that he had to, to adjust to a couple of snaps into it, but there were some times where he, he looked like a grown man out there. <laughs> there was a, uh, he, where he pulled out in front. He's got, he's not the most fluid runner. I'll say that, but he got there and got in front of a defender and absolutely just ate his lunch. Um, put some syrup and butter on him. I'm actually a yeah, cinnamon sugar kind of guy on my pancakes as well. When Are he put you? them on his back. Nice. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a nice butter, cinnamon sugar. That sounds delicious. It. That's great. It's, yeah. inc- it's incredible. Just try it out. But, um, but that's, a, and, and we'll talk about it more in the bang, the drum, but like when it's Kansas state and Kansas, why not get your young offensive linemen some snaps? Because they're going to have to adjust to the speed of the game. And not only can they redshirt, but this year doesn't count for eligibility anyways. And those guys are going to be taking up a scholarship spot anyways. Major was going to have a scholarship spot next year. Carrick is going to have a scholarship spot next year. Get Okafor to a better spot for him. right? Get get Kerstetter to his spot. Now, again, we'll talk Christian uh, Derek Kerstetter, what his future holds. Um I would love to see, depending on the the rehab time, uh, you know, it looked like that was a, a, a complete knee, but the way his leg bent, and don't go back and watch it, it is gruesome, but it was a... So a dislocated ankle and a broken tibia, um, which, is, which is a heck of a rehab, but it is definitely... It's a heck of a rehab, and hopefully we could see him back. And he's a guy who is, he's not... He's, his natural position is a tackle, so I think... Without the injury, I would be I would be shocked if he didn't come back next year to to take an extra year and get some some good NFL tape at tackle. And I'd be curious to see, depending on rehab time, what that looks like, because uh, he could be a big piece for Texas coming back next year. Again, depending on rehab. Yeah, and, and and not to mention that, but you know, with all the senior leadership that they're they're losing, if he's able to get back on the field, that's a captain uh, for next season, who's who's you know potentially back and, and showing that he's he's fully healed and ready uh, to to try to play at the next level. But I will say the the image of all the players, um, the whole team off the sideline crowded around the cart when he was laying there was 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 like heartbreaking. It was it was tough. Um, I, I mean. I, the the way I think you heard him scream on camera, and then I think it was a player next to him just you know said oh expletive, um, like my heart sank. I was just fearing for the worst that the kid wasn't going to walk again, right? And and uh, again, don't go rewatch it. It's it, it looked ugly, but yeah, the, the the reason we're saying a you know messed up ankle and a broken bone in the leg is is better than what we thought of is because you know it sounded like again. Will he walk again? Not, okay, he can rehab and we can look at, will he be able to play at the level again? And does he want to do that? Um, remember, he was in a walking boot with an ankle injury. I don't know if it was the same leg, actually, but um, before the game. So there was actually doubts whether he would play. Um, but, to, you know, it is it is incredibly heartbreaking for him. Um, so the only other thing to talk about in the offense, and, and because we talked about the running game so much, uh, we don't want to completely overlook him, but is the is the the passing game receivers. Obviously, we talked Sam's numbers. Um, the guys he was throwing to had a, had a relatively productive day. The thing that I liked is you saw it from Jake Smith. You saw it from Jordan Whittington. Um, and in fact, you actually saw it from Cade Brewer as well. Um, but you saw receivers who thought, I'm going to run downhill right? Brewer, the defense thought he stepped out of bounds and stopped and he took advantage and just kept running. Um, for Bijan, when he was catching it for Jordan Whittington on his, uh, plays on Jake Smith, all they 
they did this game that looked different than others. And you said, Whoa, why aren't we doing that? Was they caught the ball and they immediately went upfield. And if there was a player in front, they didn't just say, Oh, dang it. He got me. There was a mentality that said, I'm a better athlete. I'm, I'm, you know, superior physically to this person. I'm going to either juke them, run through them, go around them. They can't stop me. And that mentality that's what's been missing from this offense for the past few weeks is let me go beat this guy one-on-one. And like I said, Jake Smith looked good. Um, you know, Brennan Eagles continued to look pretty good after his, his good outing uh, against Iowa State. Epps getting in there. You know, it was nice to see multiple guys uh, doing that. And, and, and even Cade Brewer. That's how you know this team was locked in uh, and thought they could beat the opponent is even Cade Brewer was, uh, was getting yards after the catch. The fact that Cade Brewer had his one positive reception <laughs> yards after catch in this game is just very fitting. I'm going to leave it at that. But we've got to talk about the defense real fast because, you know, we've, we've, we've praised them for quite some time. And, and there's a lot to there's, – there's still a lot to say that was positive. But um, they gave up four, almost 450 yards, 6.1 yards per play. Um, Deuce Vaughn, who was the, what, second – in Pro Football Focus's top running backs of the week, um, but sandwiched between Bijan and Roshan, which that won't get confusing to say at all for the next several <laughs> couple of years. I won't say several years. Next two years, um, they gave they gave up some yardage to to Deuce Vaughn. He had a good he had a good day. That kind of power zone that Kansas State has been known for and Kleiman has kind of made his career on uh, worked out really well for them. Plus, like Deuce Vaughn, he's he's that. He's that small running back that somehow makes himself smaller. Mm. It, it's almost like he hits a hole, he disappears, and he like reappears like a yard and a half past the hole, and and that's just a weird a weird part of his game. But I mean, Chris Brown earned his flex twelve tackles. Um, a young guy, Jalen Ford, mm. seven tackles and a tackle for loss. He he got all that in just thirty three snaps after um, Jawan Mitchell was ejected from the game. Again, that was, I mean, it's the right call, but it's whatever. Jaron Thompson, Bug Thompson, three tackles in his first interception of the career. David Benda, three tackles in his first career interception as well. Um, Joseph Osai had a relatively quiet night because they were kind of keying a mm-hmm. lot of their blocking schemes off of him. Just three tackles. Two of the three were tackles for loss, though. Um, Snacks Coburn played a great game. Didn't show up a lot on the stat sheet. Amoro Jomo also looked good, kind of tying up the middle of the line. But the, the defense was good. The de- this was the first time, I think, in probably seven OU that we could say the defense was good, not great. Sure, yeah, I, I think I think good is a fair assessment. I, I would have loved for Bug to get a second INT. Looked like he had uh, his second one there. I think uh, their quarterback, you know, made it easy for our, our our secondary. I'll say that he had two INTs, could have had three. He had a fumble that um, you know we were able to pick up that it seemed like it was on him. Uh, I, I said in this podcast, right? I said you know they, this defense should should dominate this offense. Um, because Will Howard's one-dimensional, but the caveat, but was Deuce Vaughn is the type of running back who can give Texas problems and has given other teams problems. And you saw every bit of his talent in this game. I mean, this was Texas' worst tackling game since since Tech. I'm not going to call it like just a you know devastating performance, but it was a regression. But I think a lot of that was a a lot of freshmen playing. I mean, besides Caden Stearns, there was other multiple uh, secondary players out, so true freshmen were forced in. Players who didn't necessarily have the live reps, right? And then you throw on top of that that it's now your responsibility to tackle. Literally, I think the shiftiest uh, jitterbug running back in the country. Like you know, the the obvious obvious comparison is Darren Sproles. Uh, for reasons of both being short and playing, you know, 
Kansas State. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's going to be a headache for for four years. Um, it, it, like he's just you said, he's he's an elusive, shaky runner. Um, he had actually the benefit of some good blocking. I didn't expect Kansas State's line to look as good as it did. They neutralized um, a lot of Texas's excellent defensive line for a lot of the game like i said i thought coburn was good he was pro football focused his highest graded defender on the texas team didn't show up in the stat sheet but did um i think where they went away from osai they had to readjust from pressures and line eating from coburn but besides a few and, and ojomo didn't play a ton of snaps i think he played like 25 aside aside from a few penetrations from more ojomo we didn't have um consistent pressure getting in the backfield blowing up like we did against Brees Hall like we did against Oklahoma State um, and, and even putting pressure on on Howard and maybe some of that was a scheme to contain the run threat of Howard or the you know the explosive second level running back uh, yards you know going to deuce uh, but you know I, I did think the defense was 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 fine and it was fun to see a lot of the young guys get out there and and, and get some stats and and get some snaps and and you know just just um, get a look in, in both offense and defense it's some of the guys we're going to be cheering for next year. So a couple of quick mentions on the special team side. Dicker looks solid at punter. Hopefully mm-hmm. he only has one or two more games uh, with that before either Bushevsky comes back or uh, our friend of the show shows up on this side of the <laughs> uh, the Pacific. Uh, two of three. He missed a weird 28-yarder. Like It was just kind of – it seemed like a fluke. I, I couldn't – I couldn't even pick it up on a rewatch, but it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't that bad. Uh, Deshaun Jameson continues to show why he's one of the most dynamic and feared uh, returners in the conference. One punt for 10 yards, but um, three kick returns for 150 total yards, including a 98 yarder. That would have been a record tire, both for most kickoff returns and most combined returns in a career. He also wouldn't be left out of the record book set a school record breaking Fozzie Whitaker's uh, yards per return record with a 50 yard per average pretty impressive outing from Jameson not Bijan but Jameson yeah the, the fives were showing up um, I think Jameson also played the most snaps of any player on the Texas defense so he was he was on the field a lot um, you know he he ate on special teams like I said at national media even Poor Gus, who I, I love. Gus Johnson called him uh, the wrong name on one of his returns, at least one of his returns. And then, you know, people tweeting, Bijan had a big week. Uh, I think uh, Jameson was retweeting pictures of, that's not me, or that's that's not Bijan, that's me. Uh, I'm not a running back, basically. But, uh, you know, he remains potentially, quite possibly, I think literally the most dangerous player on the Texas roster with the ball in his hands. His speed is unreal. His ability to, to make one or two cuts at the beginning and then just go downhill and all of a sudden 30 yards are erased um, in the blink of an eye is is electrifying. Um, yeah, I hate that the poor guy got tackled at the one, especially because, I mean, to his credit, it wasn't a kicker. There was an actual, you know, uh, defender back. Player. Yeah, yeah, a real person who has the ability to tackle um, who caught, you know, who was back and, and you know, had an angle and a sideline on him was able or otherwise wouldn't have caught him, but caught him at about the 10. And you could tell how bad Jameson wanted it because he just stiff-armed and just drug him for, you know, nine of those 10 yards before falling down with his elbow at the one. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the poor guy, right? He had a kick 
negated on a on a penalties had some really close ones uh you know on some penalty calls that some some yardage and potential touchdowns called back he's gonna be on the record books no, no matter what but you know the the guys also probably get gets a double asterisk of of uh should have or might have or could have bends uh he's all over there so you hate to see it for him we joked they should have put him in at tailback and let him get one of the rushing touchdowns at least so he could could feel some of the points uh that he rightfully earned but uh his mom know. retweeted it <laughs> <laughs> Love that. You know, the, the parents parents of UT football players, this is the podcast for you. We are pro-UT players, and we are especially pro-UT parents on this podcast. Um, beloved Twitter friend of, of Mother Hustle will always love her no matter uh, where her son goes to school. But Lifetime uh, long one, Mother Hustle. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it it is exciting. I think it's one of those things that you don't take kickoffs for granted right now. And, and that's not always the case at UT. You usually have a pretty good returner, but when it's like, Oh, hang on, don't talk. Uh, James is about to get the ball. You know, you stop, you watch, you rise from your seat when he gets that first block and he gets an edge. Like he, he could take it to the house at any given time. And that's fun. That's exciting. So Texas may have at least one more ride in them, Maybe. but football operations as of, 8.33 Monday evening are shut down because of five positive COVID tests among the program, uh, three players and two staff members after the game. Uh, their Sunday tests, so football operations are currently shut down. We'll find out more on Tuesday, uh, and we'll have more about that for you on Thursday. Whether we have a preview podcast or not, we'll be back on Thursday. So Texas, uh, on the hardwood, it was such a tough weekend because both of these games showed a lot of a lot of potential and a lot of solid work from the Longhorns but we'll start with the men who uh, actually moved up in the top 25 now number 13 in the AP top 25 after their Maui Invitational win but they didn't get penalized for losing to what's probably the third best team in the country fourth best team in the country um Villanova. So Texas, this the the remarkable thing for me about this, Kyle, and we can talk more about this, is like this felt like a game, and again, we said I think we said this uh about North Carolina. This felt like a game that in years past Texas would have kind of wilted from, where they get punched in the mouth and they don't have a response, and that was not the case for Texas, where Texas got hit responded, tied the game up, got hit, responded, tied the game up, and really had a chance to win it in the final moments. And, you know, that's how basketball goes sometimes. The bounces don't always go your way. The officials maybe call some things a little tight so you don't have your best players on the floor for some last-second shots. But Texas was unable to completely overtake Villanova at the end, fell 68-64, to but got some really incredible performances from two guys that they need to see those performances from. Yeah, I, I think you, you talk about this as you're, you're talking about, you know, this team so far this season, right? You, you have your guards, uh, your, senior, your senior and junior, but your, your uh, older, experienced veteran guards. This is Matt Coleman looking like his final form. You know, I... I was arguing in a group text during the game that Matt Coleman is looking like a fringe all American right now. He is, um, you know, you, you can put him in that short list of, of, you know, since TJ Ford, he's, he's, you know, any given night playing like Corey Joseph, DJ Augustin, um, you know, uh, Coven Brown, I'll put in there, uh, or, or you know, at times better than any of those guys, right? And, and he'll, there's some things he continue to get better at, but this just looks like the version that Shaka Smart went after. Uh, an eighth grader for right this is what he thought Matt Coleman could be um 
it seemed like Ramey also just has that dog in him. They, they both hit big shots in, in this entire season in every game, um, which there's been a lot of close ones. Uh, they've hit big shots in the end of games. And like you said, there's a mentality. Remember, this game was the fourth and seven days for UT and no cakewalks in there, right? Davidson, a good team, close game. Uh, Indiana, they, they, they got out ahead of the whole game, but still a, a good team. North Carolina, you went right down to the buzzer. Um, and then you have to play Villanova, uh, which again, like I think you're correct, Gerald. They moved into the top 10 in the ranking, but if you look at Ken Palmer or any of the actual rankings, I think they are a number one seed uh, type of team right now, and, and, and we'll see how that plays out over the course of the season. But a very good team. And so take that caveat that this was a free throw at the end of the game. Texas, uh, you know, trying to, to get that equation in their favor, and, and Villanova hit all the free throws. So, you know, kudos to them. An incredibly, incredibly well-coached team. I say Jay Wright's the best college basketball coach in the country, and I don't think anyone will debate me on that. But just sound fundamentally, their pump fake game, their drive and kick, they're, you know, they're hitting their free throws. Everything that they, they were supposed to do, they did. Um, you know, the, the way that, again, to, to say four games in seven days, when Texas plays the type of frenetic team defense that they do, Villanova was perfectly posed to take advantage of that when they Texas was over rotating the seventh time and then Villanova even when they missed the shot gets the offensive rebound it's heartbreaking right the energy but Texas hung in there they were one possession away from winning this game and I think there's a lot to be said that I don't believe in moral victories I don't believe um that that's a thing that exists I don't believe that the term is even correct it should be called a morale victory but that's just my um soapbox um but uh I don't believe in it right um but if if that you know mythical item exists, this is one, right? Texas just hung with a team that's probably going to have a one or a two next to their name, uh, and, and it, it didn't look to be a fluke. Like this looks repeatable. And by the way, Andrew Jones was two for ten in this game, and he's supposed to be your third best player. Uh, Greg Brown, besides playing you know great defense, just still looks a little erratic on the offensive end. You know he's had multiple traveling calls because he looks like a freshman who's just going too fast. Like if that evens out, if Andrew Jones shooting comes back into where we know it can be and his offensive threat comes back to where it can be then then I think this team has another another you know level to reach still but in this infancy stage if they're if they're you know hanging with Villanova um and beating North Carolina I think we're in for a really really good one yeah I think that's that's the point that we take away from this and there were dumb commentary on Twitter about people are probably calling for Shaka's job after losing to <laughs> Villanova if anybody is calling for Shaka's job after that performance um you don't we can't have this conversation. I'll just say it like that. Um, because they're, they're in the history of modern, I can't say in the history of, but in modern college basketball, I don't know if there's been an undefeated anybody. So, um, like this side of maybe John Wooden, there hasn't been an undefeated champion. I'll, I'll say it like that. Um, so for, for Texas to battle with one of those teams, like it just shows that they belong. And, and I think for the first time, it doesn't feel like it's a fluke. Like last year, it was like, ah, let's wait for the other shoe to drop. Ah, let's wait for the bottom to fall. This, ah, this year, it feels like, oh, they're just a well-coached, well-constructed team. And so Texas feels like they're deserved of this type of, of accolade and acclaim. And, and they probably, and again, they may not win the conference, but I bet they'll steal a couple from the top teams in the conference and end up in, in the latter stages of the conference championship and hopefully have a deepish, deepish uh, tournament run. If the, if the, if the tournament started today, I mean, you basically have in the big 12 Baylor, Kansas as one seeds uh, UT is a one or two, you know, let's call it realistically right now, a two seed, um, a three seed at worst, uh, West Virginia looking like a two 
seed, probably three seed, uh, and Texas Tech being a top four seed, right? Like th- there's good teams. So not winning the Big 12 is not any indictment this year. You cannot win the Big 12 and still make the Sweet 16, and that makes perfect sense uh, with the the top level talent in in the Big 12. Um, but you know, it, there is, like I said, room. Um, to improve. One thing that I thought was interesting is, you know, we don't have Jason Rebess, obviously, so our rotation, um, and, and we don't have Will Baker, um, and, and Kameka Hepa, again, I've, I've joked, is, is, is our uh, fourth assistant coach, but um, th- this was a, a, a seven-man rotation, basically, uh, for Shaka Smart. Royce Ham as the eighth man to play double digits, he played 11, but really, um, this was a rotation of, of Ramey Coleman, and then everyone else playing 20 minutes, Brown Sims, uh, Jones, Jones, uh, and Cunningham. Um, and that's like the seven, they're running with ham will play to bring that energy and do the things that, that he can do. Um, he's going to, you know, get your rebounds. He, he might get some fouls. He might miss some close ones. Um, but he will do the things he does well. Um, and so he'll always have a spot. And I really think that's probably going to be our eight. We wondered what that rotation would look like at the beginning of the season. I think Gerald Liddell and, and, and stretch and some of these guys that we weren't sure where they would fit. Like, I think there's a future. I think there's a next year where they can develop and, and contribute certainly. Um, but I think we, we relatively, have it figured out um, what our rotation is. Obviously, injuries can change. Things can change throughout seasons long. Um, what what happens? But um, we, we seem to have it. And so if, if we do have it, then I, I think Kai Jones is going to be integral to that. Greg Brown uh, increasing his efficiency on the offensive end. He looks great on defense, by the way. I, I really have liked what he's done as a five-star hustle, taking charges, dove for balls, fighting for rebounds. And Andrew Jones can can get back to the scoring form that we kind of understand from him. Then I think this team has that form. But I'll just say I love Brock Cunningham. I love the minutes he gives, the energy he gives, the plays he makes um, in the season. And, and the same for Ham. I mean, uh, Royce Ham as well. But uh, in this game, I mean, just a really incredible five like Villanova, you know, has a starting five as good as anyone in the country. And Texas never looked like they were outmatched at, at any time. There would be 10, 10 point runs from Villanova and Texas would just, you know, pick their head up, run down and hit a big shot on the other end and, and, and spark the, uh, the energy. And I'll just say this, Texas has looked like a team that was going to out athletic everyone so far this season. And Villanova, because of that, tried to turn them into a jump shooting team and intentionally got back on fast breaks. Texas officially had five, but none of them were straight run out dunks, big electric, get the team hype type plays that Texas is fed off of for their energy. And without that, as a half court offense, Texas still looked pretty efficient, pretty good. They're still a little heavy on the three point. I'd like to them to get to the free throw line a little bit more when they're, if they keep attacking the rim, they'll get there. Um, but I mean, looks still quite efficient for a team that we've worried about that part of their game above everything. So good defense, use that athleticism, but if teams take it away, figuring out how to, you know, just up just a little bit of notch of the offensive game. And, and we're looking at a top 10 team. Yeah. I think that to me is the biggest takeaway is that Again, the, you'd like you'd like a win, obviously, right? You'd like a win, but the fact that Texas is able to to seemingly beat and then hang with what are the big boys of of the national scene is good on a on a year where Shaka has no excuses. Mm-hmm. This is this is the no excuse year for Shaka. So I'm excited to see what this team can do. So speaking of a team that has plenty of excuses but may not need them this year, the women's basketball team came out and scrapped with the Aggies. They fell 66 to 61 uh in the late game in that uh it was close but but Texas never it I'm going to be honest with you Kyle, watching this one felt um 
Like Texas just was was a step behind. Whereas AM AM is really probably one of the one of the top teams in the country. Mm-hmm. Um I would probably I, I mean when you when you when it's all said and done, they'll probably be a deep tournament run type of team. Mm-hmm. And Texas just seemed like they're a step behind, which it felt like the last couple of weeks may have been ahead of schedule. And so you have one of those weeks yeah. where they come back to earth and you know AM did the thing where they they kind of they doubled Charlie Collier all night and, yep. and forced the rest of the team to try to beat you. And you know, Charlie Collier, even while being double and sometimes triple teams, managed 14 and 12, which is still a good night. Um, you know, Joanne Allen Taylor did her part, hit some big threes late, but you know, it just it a team that is you know they they've got a lot of talent and they've got it, but they've got a new coach and they're really still learning how to do some of those things that elite teams do. This was a good performance, but it was just disappointing that Texas couldn't quite get over that hump. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, look, you said they they seemed to step behind a And M. I mean, they started five steps behind a And M. Basically, their first quarter they just got they got beat. They they beat themselves some, but they just got beat. They were figuring out how to run the offense when you know a And M was just shutting down the option of getting the ball in, in in Collier's hands. And they went three for sixteen on the floor in the first quarter. And you know, to their credit. Over the next three quarters, they were at least equal to AM, right? They, they they may have even at times been a step ahead, but they were always playing that level of catch up because they started so far behind. You get yourself in a double digit hole in the first quarter. That's tough. Um, against a well coached and, and disciplined and good team. And you're right, AM is is a top ten team. I think they did move into the top ten rankings after this one. Um and so it's it's Texas's first challenge, their first real game under new coach Vic Schaefer with a lot of young players, with freshmen playing a lot for this team. And so I think um, this team will get better as the year goes on, as they find their identity, right? Their identity so far has been let, let, let Charlie cook, let her eat and everyone else will feed off of that. Well, a team that a had the talent and B had the, the, you know, coaching design and perseverance and, and, you know, consistency to stick to it, to a plan of just saying, we're going to try to take her out. You saw what the rest of the team was made of. And, and again, I, I think it was, Probably, if you would have asked this three months ago versus now, probably looked better and more reassuring the rest of the team around Charlie Collier than um, maybe we believed, right? I think a lot of players stepped up. Audrey Warren, um, you, you mentioned Joanne Allen Taylor, who's taken a step up this year from her role last year. I think just in, in general, um, there is talent there. They will figure it out a little bit more um, when they play teams their their talent level or or even better. Um, you know, they they need to learn to win those games it's going to be different than when they can just press and dominate uh the opponents and just as an fyi they are uh playing an idaho team that they should have you know the the latter where they can uh press and dominate and and get the stats up and get feeling good and then they have uh a tennessee team which you know was was a ranked team last year that they were able to beat um and is i think in the others receiving votes this year their tournament uh level team so a good a good test um on sunday next week uh to kind of back-to-back sec sundays um a chance to get some redemption there against the lesser UT again Texas has some opportunities left on the on the court and this is going to be a long season for them and I'm excited to see um where they build to but that's the part of the show where we give some shine to all the rest of the news that we didn't have time for in the main sections and we down the 40 so a couple of quick football notes uh the aforementioned Deshaun Jameson was named the big 12 special teams player of the week obviously with that massive performance we talked about Bijan Robinson was named the big 12 newcomer of the week for the second time this year this year with a uh, with his monster performance against Kansas State uh 
Yeah, just a quick caveat for all of our fans who may have been confused by that award. A player is eligible for the Newcomer of the Week award their entire first season uh, as a as a you know significant contributor in the Big Twelve. That could be a freshman, it could be a redshirt freshman, it could be a transfer, uh, it could be anything. And, and you're it's not just the first week you're not a newcomer; it's your entire uh, first year. So again, he he is perfectly eligible uh, for those. And it seemed to be a little confusion on the internet. So just clearing that up. Some not so great news. Uh, Running back Keontae Ingram, there's some confusion about what is actually going on with him. Uh, It was announced last week that he was opting out for the remainder of the season. Uh, Initially, reports were that he was uh, going to transfer. And then the he tweeted himself that he was opting out just because of an injury, which would make sense. Um, And then Tom Herman, before the game on Saturday, basically said, I haven't seen any paperwork and it requires paperwork to opt out. So, um, there's one thing that there's not confusion on those that Keontae, we probably won't see him for the rest of the football season. Yeah. And we'll be curious to see what, what his status looks like going forward. Again, if it's a health reason, he's just getting healthy. I get it. Hey, if it's, if it's, um, you know, there's a running back one and a running back two who each we just talked about were the best two of the three best running backs in the country. Like I get it. Um, whatever decision he makes, I, I could kind of, understand where that comes from but again get healthy right these are these are games that are um they're fun they're good to see but if you're not there you're not healthy you're not ready to do it i understand that too in the pool the only other the only other sport going on currently uh the longhorn swimming team had the texas hall of fame swimming invitational number one men's and number one women's swimming we would go in depth on this but kyle and i don't know anything about swimming at all other than (laughs) the fact that everybody does not belong in the same pool with texas as they essentially swept the entire weekend on both the men's and women's side. And between the two teams turned in three of the nation's fastest time. Texas is so good that they had two people set the fastest time in back-to-back races, the 200 butterfly and 200 breaststroke for the ladies, Olivia Bray and Anna uh, Eldenly, respectively. And then on the men's side, Sam Pomp. Pompajevich is what I'm going with. Uh, also set the 200 butterfly uh, fastest time in the country this year it's like a, a combination of coach Popovich and coach Tom Janovich uh and I'm here for it I'm here for Sam Pomajevich in the pool Pomajevich could be Feels, could be a ma could be a ma could be a ma could be a ma there but that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics big birthday and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz so Kyle what are you banging the drum on this week? So, Gerald, I alluded to it earlier when I was talking about the Texas offense and the running game. Obviously, you have to talk about the offensive line and the good performance um, that we had there. So I went back and looked at the, the numbers coming into this game of, of snap count, and I was alarmed. I knew I had the gut feeling that we'd played a lot of the same offensive line for a lot of the season. And, hey, n- no injuries again before the Kansas State game um, is a great thing, especially at a position like line where you're always near piles and you get rolled up and those things. So that's great. Um that you help you know, you hope has consistency and help see you you know progress throughout the year and I think we saw that we saw them get better from you know beginning of the year we really wanted more from them middle of the year we saw more and they had their ups and downs but for the most part they progressed throughout the season well that's because they played 605 snaps as a starting five of Sam Cosme Derek Kerstetter Junior Angulao Denzel Okafor and Christian Jones I didn't quite realize how staggering it was the drop off of the snap count after that basically only the unit that played uh the second unit behind them in the utep game jake majors andre carrick uh rafidi gramai topamade and 
Hookfin, Isaiah Hookfin, who's uh, out for the shoulder surgery, um, but played in that game, um, each played 19 snaps. So 605 and 19, because we've been in close games since UTEP, uh, the coaches didn't necessarily feel comfortable taking the starting line out to get some of these guys snaps. So the Kansas State game was great because, as we talked about, Sam Cosme opted out. So there was already a forced change to happen. Um, then with the unfortunate injury to Derek Kerstetter, additional changes. So what we basically saw was four players play 57 uh, snaps. That was Junior Angulau, Denzel Okafor, and Christian Jones, the the regular, you know, uh, three starters, plus Jake Majors, who we talked about at center, who I think quadrupled his snap count. Uh, basically, he, he played 57 in this one versus 19, uh, and Andre Carrick played 26. So we still didn't see Grumai, Tope Amade, or, or Hookfin, who's, who's, as I said, injured. But you got an idea of what next year looks like. Now, we We've talked about Herb Han um, on the recruiting trail and where we missed, of course, the Brocker Myers. We would have loved to have them. There's five-star talent all over um, Texas in, in the 21 and, and 22 and maybe the 20 class as well. And, and there were some misses on, on adding some depth. But we have some really good linemen. We, we wanted, and Gerald and I have talked about on this podcast, how much of a benefit it is to be able to redshirt, to be able to keep guys back, not force them into action because you have the talent above them and the experience above them to do it. So next year, there will certainly be some new faces. Cosme's gone. We'll see if Kerstetter's back. We'll see if, you know, Denzel Okafor is back if he chooses um to take that eligibility and come back um but but otherwise i think you are going to see some of those names at the bottom take a step up so i'm curious to see in kansas does herb hand you know get his his young guys really in there and let you know uh Angulau and 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 majors and carrick and grimai um you know and, and potentially you know tope Amade as well get in there and, and and mix it up a little against a team that they should be able to push around um on a team that they should be able to start as we we've heard tom herman say many many times banking those reps right real live game reps and that will pay off whether it's versus kansas or anyone else that will pay off for next season because what, what did we talk about the brightness of next season we're gonna have to replace a quarterback but we just talked about two incredible running backs in Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson and next year I have to imagine that our offense has a heavy dose of two really really talented running backs and potentially more um, but that offensive line is going to be critical in being able to continue the running game as we establish the passing game under a new quarterback assuming of course Sam Ellinger were all indications and I believe he said uh, not coming back next year um, and so a new quarterback the University of Texas and this offensive line will be so critical and you look at those snap count you look at the guys it's really low you would like you know 100 snaps at least um so I'm hoping uh for Jake Majors he will be over 100 after this game Carrick assuming he gets the start at left tackle will get close to there depending how many plays we run but you want that you want that's why they gave a four game red shirt in regular years this year again COVID year eligibility isn't determined a red shirt uh, status by the, the any amount of games played but that's why you get your four games because at least that that's what you want your young guys to see you want blowouts you want them to get in you want them to get reps you want them to push the people around besides their own teammates so I'm looking forward if we have the Kansas game and there's reasons not to COVID's very real. It's a very serious thing. I get it. But if it does happen, I'm looking forward to getting reps for that offensive line, getting them in the habit of having Texas on the front of their chest and someone else who has a different name against them and kicking their butt because next year that's going to be crucial. Yeah. I I'm excited to see uh, the young guys, the young bucks in the trenches. Cause I think um, we're going to need them for a couple of years. I'll just go ahead and say it like that. So I'm banging the drum this week on um, the conversation around guys opting out. And Kyle and I have, have long been in the corner of like 
do what's best for you. And there was a lot of stuff that I disagreed with that was said about, you know, the players that decided to opt out in the middle of the season. I'll say it like this. It's really easy to say what decision you'd make when you're not faced with that decision to make. It's very easy to sit and not be staring at a potential first round, second round NFL draft choice, even heck a sixth round NFL draft choice and say what you would and would not do in that situation. And that's, that's kind of my point is that like, I have not had and been blessed enough with that type of opportunity. So I can't sit and say what type of decision I would make, but seeing Derek Kerstetter go down with an injury completely validates the fact that, you know what, if you're going to make a business decision, make the business decision, because that can happen to any guy on any play, especially at the offensive line position where there are a lot of bodies, there's a lot of mess, there's a lot of chaos, there's a lot of confusion. Like somebody rolls up on your knee and that could be a career. Like if they roll up on it and enough things tear and enough things break, that could be your career. And for a guy like Sam Cosme, that is several million dollars worth of value lost from one play in two games that have very little on the line. And so I understand having pride in the university. I have pride in the university. I live in Oklahoma city and I wear burnt orange as often as I can. And Texas has been trashed the entire time that I have lived in the state of Oklahoma. I say the entire time. The first year was the national championship run with, with Colt McCoy. Since then, Texas has not been very good. And so I have pride in the university. I have pride in, that uh, in what they roll out to it. But I also understand the very human side of what these guys are going through. And I'll be real honest with you. You may be salty now, but you'll be back cheering for them next year, regardless of what you say on Twitter. And if you are one of those people who are giving up your season tickets because uh, there hasn't been a coach firing in the middle of the season and there, there are players who are opting out, um, just uh, tweet at us or, or hit me uh, on our on our email. It's longhornrepublicbot at gmail.com uh, and let us know. We'll take those tickets off your hands. That'd be great. Um, <laughs> a kid, of course, kind of. But um, but yeah, you know, it it's a business decision. We respect the kids. We always ask them to do what's best for themselves because you know what? You know what helps the University of Texas when we talk about not getting those offensive line recruits is Sam Cosme getting drafted in the first round and going kicking butt and then we can say you know what we had Connor Williams we had Sam Cosme and we're going to have you as first round draft picks in the NFL come sign for Texas that helps more than you know what Sam Cosme really crushed some Kansas State uh, defensive ends and in and, and some Kansas you know high school players who, who get to play for less miles um, the, the NFL part of that I promise you I promise you it goes a lot further. So you're really not rooting for the university if you're rooting against them making the right business decision. That's all we've got for you <laughs> this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas pregamer on Twitter at Texas pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, where we post all sorts of stuff and our post-game live streams do happen on the Facebook page. We'll have one, potentially the last one of the season, maybe this Saturday for Kansas. Again, we still don't know Monday at nine o'clock. We don't know whether or not there'll be a game on Saturday, but there is, we'll have a live stream following it. Thank you so much for tuning in again this weekend. Until next time. Hook'em. Hook'em. Suck it, Kansas State.